Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Reaching the Summit podcast. My name is Todd Buckingham. You can find me on Twitter at Reach Summit Pod, and I'm joined today by Zach Dosh. And you can find me on Twitter at Zachary Dosh. Greg Steeman. You can find me on Twitter at Greg Steeman. And if you guys find the podcast, make sure you rate it and uh, and subscribe to the podcast. That also helps other people find it, uh, other Summit League fans that are looking for content as well. Um, so the meat of today's episode is a interview we have with Coach Rob Jeter of Western Illinois. But I wanted to start out with a few minutes talking about, I, I did some report cards on each Summit League team's November. I broke, trying to break the season down into kind of four quarters each month of the season being a quarter, not including March. Um, so I graded each team's uh, November and I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on each team and we'll kind of just go in alphabetical order because ah, there's no other better way to do it. So I started with Denver. Their November record was three and five. Uh, their Ken Palm started at 345 and dropped to 331. I went to the better at 331. So I gave them a B minus. I'll be completely honest. I graded on a curve here. Denver's going to have a little easier time getting to a B minus than uh, South Dakota State. Uh, but I think a three and five record dropping their Ken Palm are getting better in Ken Palm a little bit. A decent start to the Jeff Wolbrin area era. What are your guys' thoughts on Denver that first month? Well, with a completely revamped roster, I, and, and I mean, there's some returners, don't get me wrong, but uh, a ton of newcomers. Uh, I think you wrote a little bit, a little bit of a blog earlier on the fact that they're playing uh, great effort. Uh, today, I watched them a little bit against Texas State, and Texas State's good a good program uh, uh, rated a, at a higher level in Denver without question. I thought they battled. I mean, they lost by 13, but made it a game at times, closed to single digits a number of times. And so um, I, I think they're a team that, that deserves a, a ton of latitude, ton of leeway, uh, still a lot of room for growth with Denver. And uh, so I, I think they're, uh, yeah, it's, it's an incomplete grade from my opinion. And I think it's one that, uh, a lot of people are going to enjoy watching it play out. And I think the uh, coach Goldburn's going to do a nice job with this crew. You know, for me, it's, um, it's still just kind of big picture when it comes to Denver, you know, um, they are doing kind of the fundamental things that you need to do to eventually progress as, as a program in terms of um, playing hard. You know, they, I think they're settling into their roles nicely. I think they understand who they are They're playing better defense and they're really competing. And all it sounds cliche, but you know, that was sort of the main issue with previous teams. You know, they have had some talent down there. It's just always competing night in, night out, keeping games close, things like that. You know, you know, like to, to Greg's point, if they get beat by Texas State just because Texas State's a better team, so be it. But they're not losing by twenty. You know, I mean the games are are there down the stretch and you know, I know we're not throwing horseshoes here, but um, compared to where they were, compared to where they're going, they seem to be on a nice trajectory. And I think that's kind of the biggest thing. And, and um, so, I mean, do I agree with your grade? Do I not? Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I can, uh, I can be minus for where they were at compared to where they should be right now to, to like, what's the best possible situation for them 
you know, they're probably not too far away from it. Um, right. So that I mean that means they're controlling everything they can. And so B minus, yeah, I can roll with that. Yeah, and and to be completely honest, so my thought going into each quarter of the year will be then using the last quarter as sort of the baseline for the next quarter. So mm-hmm. I'd actually probably ups the level a little bit for Denver. I I heard a crazy stat on the broadcast today, and I I don't know, I haven't verified it, but they said the last time Denver won a road game was December of 2018, which means they went, if that's accurate, means they went three Summit League seasons without winning on the road. Hmm. Uh, So the, the bar's pretty low, I guess, would be my point in saying that, but yeah, so yeah, I mean, it's like that, building a program kind of- from scratch. It's like building a program from absolute scratch, right? And so it, it's going to be fun. I don't want to say experiment, but it's just going to be something fun to track. Like, how quickly can you literally build something out of scratch? And, I mean, like I said, they're, they're starting to get those fundamentals of any program down. And so that's really what I've been watching, not necessarily the outcome of all these games. You know, Zach, you make a good point, you know, in this day and age with with the new coaching staff taking over and so many kids in the transfer portal, rebuilding is going to be totally different than it's been in the past. I mean, so many people yeah. relied on, on uh, recruiting high school kids or Juco kids. Now it's uh, how fast can you rebuild from the transfer portal? Because the op, because there's a ton of options there. So, and, and, and Denver took full advantage of that. So I think it's going to be interesting to see. I would, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll bet Zach's paycheck that Denver finds a way to win a road road game in the summit league this season. And, and um, I, I think they're going to be a team that, as, as you guys have both mentioned, they play with great effort, great toughness. It's going to be interesting to watch them grow. I, I'm also willing to bet Zach's paycheck, just so you guys Good, know. good. <laughs> uh, you, you guys aren't being too brave then, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one, of the, one last uh, little tidbit on Denver, and I think it ties into our interview with Coach Jeter. You know, there's so many players in the transfer portal, but it seems like Western Illinois and now a little bit Denver were selective in who they went after in the transfer portal. Mikey Hen and uh, KJ Hunt seem to be players that bring some leadership to the team as well. And that certainly seems apparent with the, the players that Western Illinois brought in. So it's interesting to see that teams, I mean, KJ Hunt was a seven point eight point per game score prior to coming to Denver and he's scoring 16, 17, something like that. Uh, it looks like coaches are trying to be a little bit careful with, and there's just more players available. So they have that luxury. So it's interesting to see some parallels between those two programs. I uh, completely agree with that. And, and, and I'm, I, I'm guessing Zach will agree with this, but I, I don't know. There are so many kids in the transfer portal. You can afford to be selective. You can afford to really evaluate fit, character, things along those lines. It's not like that portal. It's not like there's there's more um, opportunities than there are players available. There's really fewer right. opportunities than there are players right. available. So I think the ability to be selective is certainly there for people. Yeah, it's a buyer's market. It's a buyer's market yeah. if you want to put it in those types of terms, right? Yeah. I mean, there's still... 30, 40% of the transfer portal kids went in and never made it out. I mean, we've talked about it. We'll continue to highlight it throughout the course of the year, not to get off track here, but not only is it a buyer's market, but you know, even if you do find a new location, that doesn't mean that you're in any better situation than you were before. I mean, the, I'd be very curious to figure out how many kids 
went to the portal, came out the other side, and are truly, truly happy and better off for it. You know, probably not, not very, not many. I, I'd, I'd put it less than 25%. That seems to be my eyeball test, but, but, um, you know, they should have the right to make that choice. There's just, there's no way they can have the information to make that decision, but the coaches certainly have way more information than the players do. And so that's why they're able to sort through these guys. And, you know, to, to bring it back to Denver, they like running five out basketball, right? You need to find post players that can shoot. There's not many of them. Western Illinois found one. Denver has a couple. And uh, to your point, Todd, finding guys that are doing and playing the way that they want to play. There's not a lot of guys. There's not a lot of posts out there that can do that, but they found a couple. All right. So, so on to Kansas City, I gave them a C-plus for November. They had that nice win against Missouri, or at least a power five win. Um, sometimes it's not looking as nice a win as, as Missouri continues yeah. their season. Yeah. Um, but three and four for the month of November. One of the reasons that, uh, I gave them a C plus is that a couple of those victories other than Missouri are against non D one opponents. Their Ken Palm did get better. So I sort of, it wasn't set in stone, but if your Ken Palm got better, I was you're probably going to be C or better. Um, if it got worse, there was a chance it got lower than a C. Um, and, and I know Ken Palm has its flaws, but it's the only way to, to, kind of compare all 358 teams or whatever we've got now. Um, they are do, winning a few games without Josiah Alec really being able to be a major contributor. They still don't have Arkel Lamar back. So they're a team I could see actually grading out better as the season goes on. Um, and maybe some of their grade was actually due to expectations in the preseason, whether they're fair or not is a whole different thing. Any thoughts on Kansas City? Uh, a lot of unknowns. I, yeah. I'm in agreement with what you've already said. I, I mean, the, their wins, uh, Missouri looked good at the time. It looks right now, Missouri's an absolute mess. But at the same time, their other wins are, are uh, a lot of non-D1s. And, and so I think um, so much yet to be figured out by them and, and uh, the health of, of Alec. They do have some bigger bodies besides Alec, which I think helps them. They didn't have that last year. And so I still think uh, with the way they like to play, um, I think there's a lot of development ahead for them, and, and they're still going to be a, a grinded-out type of team to play against. So, um, so much yet to be known about them. I completely agree with your initial assessment. I think for me, uh, like I said before, I'm keeping this really big picture at this point in the year. I think every time that we do a check-in here, it'll be a little bit more focused and a little bit more focused on the actual results. But to me, if you're looking at Kansas City, I think you're you're seeing a much more complete team uh, than you were last year. I mean, last year, yeah, they just played defense like crazy, but who is going to score the ball, right? Like, that's a huge problem. And Evan Gilliard really gives them an added dimension here. It really, adds, it really uh, raises the ceiling of what they can accomplish this year. And so, you know, do they deserve better than a C-plus? I think they deserve a little bit better than a C plus sure. uh, for the things that they've accomplished. You know, they've accomplished a lot that not many teams in this conference have uh, in terms of beating a par five school. Again, not a good one, but you know, a par five school, it, you know, and so, and, and demonstrating the fact that they have can score more with more balanced approach and really just play many more ways than they could last year. So, I mean, yeah, your, your points are valid. If they had to beat, Morehead State and Arkansas State, we'd probably have a much different conversation. They'd be in the top uh, 
within the top 200 of um, Ken Palm, but uh, you know, I, I, I still do really like what we see out of Kansas City, so I'd probably go just a little bit higher than a C plus. Okay. Yeah, and and Arkell Lamar being out, and I, I still haven't gotten a great timetable. It still sounds like it's a couple more weeks at least. That does matter because that's another really big scoring option. Problem is, will he stay healthy? It's, it's been a couple of years of health issues with him, even prior to being at Kansas City. Um, so, but that's a big piece they're missing as well, and will make them more balanced. Move on to North Dakota next. I gave them a C minus. Part of that was is the Ken Palm has dropped a little bit down to 330, um, and partially because the returning guys just haven't. And I get they lost Tyria Iannaccio. Uh, Philip Baraccio, those are big losses, but you hope those veteran guys will kind of step up and fill the void. And to, in my opinion, that hasn't quite happened yet. I think Paul Bruns has actually been one of the bigger uh, surprises coming yeah. in with this season. Um, so C minus for them. What do you guys think about North Dakota right now? Uh, lacking consistency. and Because, I mean, the ability to put 40 minutes together, I think they've shown even on their Florida trip, out in California against San Jose State, they, they can put 20 good minutes together to, right. the ability to sustain it. And that does fall on some veteran leadership, but it also falls on the opportunity for these uh, new players to step into some roles. And so I, um, we've all talked about this. Paul Sather is going to find a way to make these guys better. He's going to find a way to uh, find a level of consistency and toughness that he needs to have on the floor. A complete agreement with you, Todd. I think Bruns has been a nice surprise. I think he's going to be a guy that, um, is going to, you know, turn out to be one of the better freshman recruits in the league. And I, I think it's just a matter of sustaining what's, uh, you know, when, when things are going well for them, how do they sustain it? And that's, that has a little bit to do with depth. We can challenge those, those returners a little bit. Maybe they lack some consistency, but at the same time, you know, they're not going to play 40 minutes a game for, for each one of them. When these, guys, when these guys come in off the bench, how do they find a way to sustain that success? And I think that's going to be the, the, the biggest challenge for Coach Sather is how do they find a way to to put 40 minutes together, and that a lot of that has to do with with managing the lineups that you have on the floor. Right. Yeah, I think the the biggest thing with these guys is, Greg, you said it, just tremendous inconsistency. Yeah. And I haven't been able to talk to the coaching staff in uh, about a week or so here, and so there may be a logical reason for it other than just being tremendously inconsistent, but I don't know if there, if that reason exists mm -hmm. and what it could possibly be. Um, you know, Matt Norman, Ben Tupanom, Ethan Igbonigo, these guys have played a lot of college basketball in their careers. They're playing like freshmen right now. North Dakota's freshmen are more consistent. I mean, Reed Grant, he's not scoring yet, but he probably could. Uh, and he's, he understands the reason why he's on the floor and he's more consistently executing his job than the other guys. And I mean, could we see a full on youth movement, especially in the backcourt? We already saw it with Paul Bruns. I mean, these, these upperclassmen are going to have to give coach Saylor a reason to keep him on the floor. Yeah. It's far, it, it happens far too often where they're out there and look, it's not all about scoring the basketball, right? But you know, they, they have to be able to score more than 50 points. Usually scoring is never a problem for, for UND. Usually it's more like the defense and rebounding, just kind of given their personnel. Um, but they're just, and, and there's no shortage of excuses that I could throw out there 
but I'm going to save them because obviously I know Coach Taylor's not going to let them be said or not going to give them any credence in terms of the fact that they've had this this crazy road trip and you know they're traveling all over the place and uh, you know whatnot. But the fact of the matter is that that San Jose State they're beatable. Like a lot of these games, they're they're winnable. Like some of these games of Florida, they're they're not. Not every game is like Kansas State, you know, and so um, I don't know. I, I, I'm really curious to see what comes out the other side of this. But, you know, long story short, to your grade, C minus. I mean, if you take away that Montana win, that Montana win was a good win. Actually. Saved them. You know, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mid, mid 100s for Ken Palm. Uh, and that's part of what's so frustrating about their subsequent performances because you can see what team they can be, even if they didn't even play that well, they didn't shoot the ball that well against Montana and were able to beat them. And then, so it just makes these other performances that much more head scratching. So yeah, C minus, maybe even a tad generous. I mean, that Montana game's good, but I mean, we're talking about one game here. So um, yeah, I mean, maybe even a tad generous. Yeah. And, and that San Jose state game, Greg, to your point is almost their season so far in a, in a capsule. Right. It, that first half, I thought, okay, here we go. And then the second half, it just fell apart. And and that's sort of just how it's all, all felt. Like every time you start thinking, hey, maybe they got something here, it, it's, it doesn't last. I just don't understand why their backcourt can't produce more. Again, it's not all about scoring, but, yeah, you know, draw the defense, be a dynamic player, be a basketball player. Like, Coach Taylor's looking for somebody just to play basketball and be instinctual and aggressive. Like, we've seen these guys do this at certain points. They're physically capable of it. I don't know what the disconnect is, but uh, th- there's a there's been a misfire there for a couple games. And from my uninformed eye, it feels like a confidence issue. But that that's, of course, from watching from a tablet. Uh, but they're well, just – no nobody's I mean, wanting the shot, it feels like. I mean, certainly that's a part of it. They're shooting how many times have they shot mid thirties? You know? Yeah. It's well, been that, several games. It doesn't help the confidence, does it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, but at the same time, it's like, what's there to do about it? Stopping shooting isn't the answer. Right. 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 You need to be just more crisp with your offense. All stuff that Coach Saylor knows and is telling them. Right. So like this is not lost on them. It's just a matter of it coming together. Maybe they're just a terrible road team. Maybe they're just a little bit immature when it comes to that. I don't know. But there's something not good going on right there. And uh, so, but we'll see. You know, they get a chance to write it against a, another winnable game against Eastern Washington this Saturday. So the next team on our list, North Dakota State, I, I gave them a C. Um, that, of course, has a lot to do with um, the expectations coming into the season. They're four and three in the month of November. Um the win against Tarleton State probably looks like their best, and UNLV probably looks like their worst right now. Um, still at 164 in Ken Palm, so they dropped a little bit, but still pretty solid for a a uh, Summit League team. And one of the things that made it hard to evaluate them is most of their losses, other than UNLV, probably should be losses, yet they just got handled in in and i think it was was drake one of their losses and um arizona i know was one and i can't remember the other one well arizona and unlv yeah drake was south dakota there we go okay so it was creighton unlv and creighton okay yep and when you when you watch arizona 
they're really good. Yep. Still, yep. an NDSU team, even minus Sam Griesel, it shouldn't be a 50-point loss. Right. And even an NDSU team against a young Creighton team, very talented, very talented, shouldn't be the loss that it was, even minus Sam Griesel. And I think Dave Richmond will be the first one to tell you that. And and I think that's where, you know, this team, they, they've got some self-examination that they've got to do. They've got, they've got four great opportunities, two on the road. They're going to be at Montana State, and they're going to yep. be at home against uh, Northridge and, uh, oh, goodness, Indiana State, and they'll finish up at Pacific. So those four games, I think, are going to be very telling for North Dakota State coming up. I think your grade of C is, is very accurate, to be honest with you. Um, you hate playing without Greasel, but it's an opportunity for growth. And then the first opportunity without Greasel at home, Des McKinney sits in a, in a coach's decision. And so then you're kind of going, okay, what's going on there? And it puts a ton of pressure on Willie Guy, uh, a, a JUCO transfer who's, who shows some signs. But, you know, as a primary ball handler, primary distributor, decision maker, it, it, it puts some added stress on this NDSU roster. And NDSU has uh, a group of extremely experienced, talented guys. They've got some younger guys that are looking to fill roles. They still have to find themselves yet. And I think they've got some, they've got some ground to make up here, to be honest with you. And, and I think offensively, their struggles at times, you know, their, their scoring droughts, um, three, four, five-minute scoring droughts, that's something that North Dakota State can't afford to have, especially due to the fact that they typically play lower possession games. So uh, they've got they've got some opportunity for growth. They have four really, you know, summit league type games coming up in front of them to prepare themselves for league play. We'll see how they do, and we'll see then when, uh, if and when Sam Griesel comes back. I, it is really a week to week thing. I think Dave Richmond has referred to it as that. And if their goal is to say, hey, listen, we want Greasel to be able to play on December 22nd in the conference opener against UND, their primary rival, um, you know, that's that's a long ways off for a lot of fans. And at the same time, you don't want to rush this situation back with Sam. You want Sam back for the duration. And so, they, yeah, I, I think C is a very accurate grade for, for North Dakota State at this point in time. Right. I, I just think it's incomplete at this point. You know, it's – They've had one, maybe two sort of like matchup. Outside of that, the other ones have been, you know, much better, much worse. Mm-hmm. And the ones that have been much better, I think that's where we were looking to. And they're showing without Sam Griesel. They're just, that's not where they are. Um, we, we haven't learned much really about the guys that aren't starting. Nobody's really stepped up. Although Des McKenney kind of has lately. I mean, he's, he's been playing a little bit better. Uh, he may, he may get those minutes. Um, but outside of that, I really don't know what to make of it. Like I honestly, I have not learned much about NDSU. Guys. I mean, what, have you guys, is there anything that you guys have learned about NDSU that you didn't know coming into this year? Not that I didn't know. No, no. No, I'm right there with you guys. I'm the same way. I mean, uh, we've seen these, you know, three, four, five minute scoring droughts for years for North Dakota State. Yeah. And, uh, and they're Grant Nelson, Rocky Cruiser, some amazing individual talent. Tyree Eady had a great game, you know, and then kind of, you know, he'll follow that up with a with a subpar effort. You kind of wonder where is the consistency for Tyree Eady because he's one of the guys in the league that you think is going to bring it every night. 
I still think he's capable of doing that. But, yeah, I, I'm with you guys. There, there's a lot of unknowns for North Dakota State right now, especially for an experienced Summit League team. Probably more unknowns than you'd like to have if you're Dave Richmond. So I'd leave it un- incomplete right now. Um, but the good news is, just like you said, Greg, coming up, Montana State, CSUN, Indiana State, Pacific. Yep. We'll know after that. We'll know. I agree. Like, those are good matchups. Mm-hmm. They've been needing those types of matchups in their, their non-conference schedule. And so we're, we're going to know. Right. All right. So before we go to the interview with Coach Jeter, we'll, we'll hit Omaha quick. I gave Omaha an F. Um, and partially because I, I they they just haven't, even in the couple of their clo- losses that ended up being closer, they they uh, came back, stormed back against Ball State and SIU Edwardsville, and that otherwise they were getting blown out in both those games. They play, played a little closer, which was in a November game against um, Eastern Washington this weekend, but it's just... I, I give them an F, F because I'm not sure what the identity is. I'm not sure who the ball goes through. It just, it's with Lamel Robinson being out for the year, it, it feels like it's, it's, I hope I'm wrong, but it feels like this could be a really, really long year for Omaha. I just feel like I don't have a handle on them. You yeah. know, like I don't like, like kind of like what you said, like I just don't, you know, I've watched them a couple of times. You know, if somebody's listening to this podcast and, and is really dialed into what's going on there, if you want to reach out to us, please do. Because, um, you know, I'd hate to jump to some big conclusions here without maybe understanding a little bit better. Um, but, you know, it, it, has, it sure hasn't helped that their schedule is not conducive to a team that's in this type of shape. You know what I mean? That, that's that's part of it. You know, they don't they haven't played three non-division ones like Oral Roberts or some of these other teams. You know what I mean? They've pretty much ran the gauntlet, and you just wonder. Uh, normally that's good, but you don't also want it to shatter your confidence, too. You know, so I, I just don't – I don't know what type of frame of mind they're in right now. I mean, maybe they're saying, you know, hey, we're just going to – we're getting a ton of playing time for our underclassmen, and we're going to battle it out, and this is sort of – uh, a process for getting ready for next year or something. I, I don't know. But like, so yeah, like I said, if anybody's listening and wants to give us a better indication of uh, Omaha, I'd be all ears. Cause right now I don't have a great handle on it. Yeah. I'm with you. I, um, it's hard for me to give an F as a former high school teacher. I always told kids, you really have to work hard <laughs> to get an F in my class. I mean, I'll give you every opportunity to pass. So I'll go with a D, but, uh, but I'll use the same rationale as, as you did, Todd. They're just struggling. And, uh, and and the opportunities they have in front of them aren't ideal. I mean, they've got, they've got a Drake team that has, uh, um, you know, handled some of the league teams at this point. Uh, they've got UNLV. They've got Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Those are the last three opportunities they have before they head into some of the league play. I, ju- I just think they're struggling on a number of different fronts right now. And, and um, unless things, you know, can, can really get right, right set, in the Summit League, you know, conference regular season play, we'll see. And, and Darren Hansen, I mean, hey, we're all smarter. Uh, you know, we're all smart enough not to doubt him, not to doubt his experience and his knowledge of his own team. But early on, the results have really been puzzling. And and uh, to be honest with you, I, I, I think Omaha is, is probably deserves a, 
uh, as low a grade as we can give them. I'd probably go D. I'd probably go D just because there's at least probably one or two other teams in this conference that would have the same record as them. Um, yeah. You know, th- th- I would just stop just short of it just because their schedule has been brutal. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it, yeah, I mean, not, not a ton to hang your hat on right now at you guys' point. And, and just so everyone knows, the, the other former teacher on this podcast also did not like giving Fs, apparently, except in a, in a, on a Summit League website. But, uh, yeah, I, I also tried to avoid them in, in my time over at, in North Minneapolis. But uh, uh, So what, with that, we'll roll over to the interview with Coach Jeter, and then we will finish up our, our list of record, report card grades. And we'll save the conversation about the – what we thought of the interview with Coach Jeter when we talk about Western Illinois. So on to the interview. Hi, everyone. We have a special guest on the Reaching the Summit podcast today. Our first ever returning guest, Coach Rob Jeter with Western Illinois Men's Basketball. Coach, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. So I'll start, and then Zach is here with us as well. Um, I could. I wanted to see if you could just compare – the off season and the beginning of the season for this year versus last year, obviously last year was an entirely new team. You have some new returners this year, some returners this year, a little more continuity, just comparing the two off seasons into the start to the season. Well, that that's easy. It's, it's pretty simple. We didn't have an off season preparation last year. Um, I was hired in April. I didn't actually come to Macomb until move my family to Macomb until August. Um, because the campus was really shut down. That means we were not practicing with our team at all that summer. So we basically got to town, started classes. Um, we got everyone into school. And then, of course, all the protocols with COVID and all those things had to happen before you can start practicing and working with teams. So we really had very limited contact preparing for last season. Um, I think December came really fast, and then we're playing games. So as I mentioned last season, all of our growth was going to happen right in front of everyone's eyes. So we're going to have to make mistakes. We're going to have to try to figure out how to coach this team, how to make adjustments, what combinations would work best together. All those things are going to have to happen right in front of everyone in real time. And that's essentially what happened now. So you fast forward and come to this season. Um, we had a full spring. We had a full summer um, and then we had a fall. So I think our um, development happened during that time, you know, laying out our standards, how we want to play, figuring out combinations, all those things we were able to get, get a jump start on. And I think it really, it really has shown up, shown up so far this season and we're a lot better prepared. Coach, we may have uh, already chatted about a couple of these things uh, on the last time, but just to kind of refresh everybody. So, you know, obviously your situation was highly unique that you came into, um, but whatever you're doing is obviously working really well. So maybe kind of take us through, you know, day one, you get hired. How do you start establishing the program you want, the culture you want? Like, how do you start to go about that? Well, it first starts with your staff. You have to make sure you have the uh, the right people that you're comfortable with and that are comfortable with you. And uh, that, that was pretty simple for me. Everyone on my staff I've had relationships with for, for many years they know me, they know what we want. So we were able to, to take that big piece out of the equation. Um, and, and then the second piece is now getting the team together. So that was more logistics than anything because at that time, you know, trying to figure out, can you get people on campus when and where and all. So um, 
I, I really go back to, I think, the experience that we've had and my staff has had at being either running programs or being around really successful programs. I thought that was big for us too. Um, we weren't new at this. We kind of knew what to expect, knew what to, um, to really, uh, I guess, control what we could control and know not to get upset or, or stress over things that we couldn't. And I, I thought it paid off for us. So, Coach, you kind of lead us right in the next question. Um, I'm always just so interested in recruiting, you know, because it's, it's never been more complicated. There's never been more options. How do you go about sorting through all that's out there to find the right guys for you? I mean, because I think in particular, the guys that you brought in just seem to really fit well together. I know Todd's mentioned that several times. They all just complement each other, and they all come from different places. So, I mean, you know, I know it's kind of a combination of your staff or what, but maybe kind of walk us through how you go about finding the right guys for you. Yeah, well, the, the different places comes from the different environments I've been in. You know, I've been on the West Coast, Midwest. Uh, I've been able to recruit all across the country because, you know, I, I was at uh, a school at UNLV and also at Minnesota and in my time at Wisconsin. So I think that's allowed me to develop relationships across the country. Uh, same with my staff. When we start looking at Coach Boudreaux as a, successful um, junior college coach. He's recruiting across the country along with uh, the, the rest of the guys. So I think that's what gets us the, the you know, able to reach out and branch outside of our recruiting base and get guys from other places. Um, so that, that, that has really definitely helped. I, I think the landscape recruiting, as you know, has changed. So the early visits, they're really trying to lock down guys right away in the fall is less as important as it's been ever. I mean, you know, now that you get a chance to watch some guys play throughout the season, um, it's inevitable There's the transfer portal is gonna be <laughs> growing every day. So you can look at those things as well. So there's a lot more that's going on now that can allow you to recruit later and, and help you fill in the gaps and to fill in the holes. And it was really important for us to keep the, the core group that we had um, and that started with Will Carius as a, as a six-year guy, fifth-year guy to come back with this COVID year. Um, that was the most important recruiting piece for us, knowing that everyone else could come back. And then from there, plug in the right pieces. And I thought my staff did a nice job of adding complimentary pieces. Yeah, so maybe talk about, you know, like, so Luca Brisic as a, in, in particular, that's a really interesting one to me because, you know, he didn't have, he hasn't had a typical career up to this point, kind of bounced around a little bit um, and probably didn't have the most game tape out there. And so that must've been a guy that you just probably knew about. Right. I mean, yeah. cause it wasn't obvious, but when you, when you put him with your other guys, it's like, Oh my gosh, like how, you know, this just is unbelievable. And, and, and that's and you, and that's what people on the outside don't know. So Aluka right. played for coach Chad Boudreau and, and coach Heikkinen at a junior college in Highland, um, in Freeport, Illinois. So there's a personal relationship. They know exactly who this kid is and what, he, what he's capable of doing. And that's the reason why it was, for us, it wasn't an unknown. We, they, we knew exactly what he could do and how he would fit. And that's how, that's how that one happened. Coach, I wanted to okay. talk real quick about the, the, what I consider something impressive with your team, it's just the fight in the team. And I, and I know it was a loss, but one of the times I, I can think of specifically is you fall down double digits to DePaul. Mm -hmm. And I had commented on Twitter like that. This is not the end of 
Western Illinois in this game and it ended up being a loss, but the team just kept fighting back, kept, um, and, and that there was also this feeling, at least from the outside looking in of this belief that you're never out of the game. Is that something you guys really focus on as a team? Well, I think our ability to shoot the ball from behind the arc gives us an opportunity to stay in games or at least have a chance to come back as long as we're trading threes for twos. Um, I think that that's that's big for us. You know, let's just be honest, you know, we're leathernecks, right? So there's, I don't think there's anything sexy about a leatherneck. You know, it means we, we, we have to be tough and resilient. And um, I, I say that, but it's real. When I was at UNLV, we were the running rebels. Can't walk the ball up the court if you're a running rebel. It just doesn't fit. So you have to, I, I think teams kind of, kind of play to their personalities and the mascots sometimes are part of that. I think coaches, their, their, their um, personalities play into that as well. So it fits me well, cause I, I'm a football guy. My, my football in my blood, you know, my dad was a football player, all of my family's football, you know, they, they like to hit people and, and that physicalness. So I have a lot of that in me. So leathernecks, I think my personality kind of fits and, we just have to kind of fight and kind of scrap our way. There's nothing sexy about leatherneck, so I, I don't want our teams to play that way. We want to we want to be grunters and and and, and grinders. <laughs> yeah, you know, Coach, I had a, a front row seat to maybe the best example of that last year. You know, thinking how last year goes. Obviously, you know, you were giving a lot of guys opportunities, particularly at the beginning of the year last year, a lot of different combinations, and then you guys sort of broke through at UND. Yeah. And I just remember, like, I called that game, and I just remember coming away just being really impressed with just the level of fight. I mean, you guys just would not be denied. You know, it's kind of you guys against the world, right? You're up in Grand Forks, zero fans. It's just you guys. Bench is hyped up. Colton Sanders gets moved to the point guard. It kind of clicks, and everything kind of comes together, and you guys start to break through. And then at the end of the year last year, you guys kind of went five, five of seven in the regular season, yeah. then the regular season. So maybe kind of talk about that whole year last year and just how much you guys transformed. Yeah, it was difficult to start. And, and again, I go back to, I think, my experiences as being a former head coach, uh, being a head coach before. It, you know, I don't think we overreacted. It was just trying to put the right pieces together. Uh, we found that. I think we found that in the South Dakota game in the second half. And we were down big and found a way to make a game out of that. Um, and then it carried over into the North Dakota. It's funny because in that in that game particularly the first game i was really worried that our spirit might have been broken i mean we were we had the game we lost a lead and then they made a shot we missed a key tip in at the end that could have ultimately put us over the top and you go in the locker room like are these guys really de defeated at this point and we bounced back and that was great to see and it carried carried over and it's carrying over into the season i think we understand how difficult winning is um you know we can talk about as a as as coaches but players they seem to think oh it's easy you know they because all these guys come from successful places but then they realize how the details matter so much and how each possession is so important in, in college basketball so i think we learned those lessons and you can see we got a lot tougher and at the end of the year there we just ran into a couple of teams that were just better than us so that's what we tried to do in recruiting was address some of the things that we felt were holes and, and add some guys that can, can complement the players that we were bringing back. I want to talk yeah, real just, quick. I, I, yeah, go, go ahead, Todd. I want to talk real quick about one of those that I think really fills a hole that you guys 
had and my personal I don't know if we're supposed to have favorite players but one of my favorite players to watch and I don't think because the stats don't show up that he'll get the recognition George Dixon yeah. it play you know what is he six four plays like he's six nine um and just always does these little things I, I don't think he cares that if he scores 15 yeah. I don't yeah. care think he cares if he scores at all but I, I can't remember which game it was he was beat on a play and came around and got a jump ball yeah. on when 98% of players would have just let the guy score a layup. And so I talk a little bit about him and how he might fit what you maybe didn't have last year. Well, first of all, I, I've known George since he was, <laughs> since he was young. So, you know, being at Milwaukee, his high school was pretty much on our campus. I know his high school coach. Well, um, had a chance to watch him grow up and mature as a high school player and so I know him, I know his personality, I know his toughness, I know what he can bring. And I, you know, we were talking a little bit about recruiting, how things kind of happen. They happen basically based on relationships, right? Yeah. So we get a George Dixon because of a relationship that happened before, not even trying to develop that relationship that necessarily come to Western, but just because just naturally a relationship was formed. And uh, he was a starter at Eastern Illinois, transfers here. You know, we bring in five starters back very um a very mature decision on his part to say you know I, I just want to help i just want to be a player that can contribute that mentality is the reason why he's so successful for us because he's willing to accept the role one two understand that it takes more than five guys to be successful and his role coming off the bench for us is as equal equally as important as the other five guys and he just plays with so much heart and passion and that's what we needed. Um, we needed to to shore up some some defensive things, uh, but then add some toughness to where we can get some stops, we can get some rebounds, and do some more of the dirty work. He he provides all of that. So, coach, maybe to change directions a little bit here. Um, one question that I've actually kind of enjoyed asking other coaches because there's such a wide range of answers is what's your philosophy on putting together your schedule? How do you go about that? What are you trying to do? Um, there's not a right or wrong answer for all these coaches. I mean, obviously, only, only you know what's right for your team. But what's your approach and, and philosophy towards putting together your schedule? Don't, don't try it. Whatever you're trying to do, it never works. That, that, I think that's, that's the one mentality you have to have. Like, you can look at teams. Like, I'm sure everyone looked at Western. Okay, we want to put Western on our schedule. And then we show up this season, we're a lot different than last year. So you just never know, right? I, I always try to look at my schedule about based on some of the experiences that we might provide the, the players, right? So that might be a MTE event where we're taking a trip or a destination somewhere. So now that there's an educational piece to that, plus there's a get them out of their environment to a whole nother area. I think that's one thing I look at. Also look at the, the, the you know, travel how travel is going to affect us and we purposely put ourselves in a tough uh, tough position by doing the the depaul mte so that we can go back to back to back essentially in games um so i think some of those but if you're trying to schedule wins you can't do that now in college basketball because especially now with tramp with the transfer portal you just never know how teams are going to look next season so I've I've got I've learned to to get away from that part of it and just worry about you know the the travel piece the 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 you know are we going to have a destination for our guys is it enjoyable can we 
can we figure out a way to, to have some success? But it, it's so difficult now because the transfers change the whole game. You know, those MTEs are really interesting because, again, that's another one that we've found a wide varying level of opinions on it. Yeah. Some like it. Some say, hey, we want to do this because we're going to have to do this in the conference tournament. We have to get used to playing back-to-back-to-back nights. Mm -hmm. Um, Others don't see much value in it. I always sort of view it as a a very efficient way to get a lot of good games and, yeah, simulate the conference tournament, but obviously my opinion doesn't matter. So what's your thoughts on those MTEs? I I, I love them. I mean, I I think the fact that you get a chance to come together early with your group, right, Uh, especially if you're going to a destination and you're – you got five days, you're going to play three games or whatever it is. You're, you're together. You're spending that time bonding as a team, as a staff. Um, you get a chance to see your guys with quick turnarounds. Can they respond? You really get to, to, to evaluate your preparation as a staff, as a coach. Okay, are, are we, are we prepared fundamentally to make quick adjustments? Because you don't have a lot of time to make the, those really – strong changes in your game plan because you only have usually a few hours to do it. So I, I think it reveals a lot about the character of your team when you play in those tournaments. Can you go back to back to back or with, with, with very little time to prepare? Uh, I, I love them. I, I really do. I think there's a lot of value to them. So coach, want to switch gears just a little bit. One of my theories on, or at least when I look at the teams that are a little more successful than others, especially at this level is continuity of roster. Mm-hmm. And so I, my question is, do you, when you're bringing in players, are you looking for players that, that you think will buy into the, to the system? Or do you think the system itself builds that continuity? Cause you guys really, everybody came back that of that, of, you know, all the five starters, um, but also adding in some pieces. So, so roles changed a little bit. Is that something you're looking at when you're bringing players in, or is that something that you try to build once they're on campus? Uh, I think the first thing character comes into mind, right? And then you're trying to get like-minded people. So you can, it, for me, it's really important. I, I can, I can, there's a lot of talented players out there, but it won't fit what we're, what we're trying to do. It won't, won't fit with the culture of the team. And that is so important. You can't, you can't really change people's character. You can help develop it. You can help them over the long term, kind of get them to understand and become better people and play and, and men and that. That's our job. And that's a big responsibility. But when you're putting together a team, I think it's the most important to have like-minded guys, guys that are are willing to, okay, are they willing to give up a shot or two so that everyone else can succeed? Are they willing to dive on the floor like the other guy? is willing to do. Um, do you see any character issues where the, this personality might not fit with another? Um, and then more importantly, it's like five guys are going to play to start the game. You need a good eight or nine of them to, to be really successful. And you have to make sure you're putting in guys and pieces that are, are going to be willing to accept roles. If you have a bunch of guys that all want to play and all can score the basketball and all can do these things or volume shooters, I, I don't see how that always fits. So I think one of our things, we try to find like-minded guys that fit our character and our personalities. So coach, we're, we're starting to bump into that 20 minute time limit here. Um, is there anything else that you want us to know about your roster or program that may not be apparent to the average fan? No, I, I, I really think that, the, the community here in Macomb is something that I, I've learned to, you know, when you, when you, when you hear about Macomb, you, you think about, okay, 
tradition trying to build something here but you know we, we've got something here that i think is really special i think the community here is great the fans just the fans here are are excited and thirsty for for wins and i know my family and our staff we really enjoyed um joining this community and and it's it's been it's been a lot different than i expected but i will say this that we got great people here uh, we have uh, an athletic director and, and people here on campus that are really committed to having success. And it, it's been a pleasant surprise in the sense that how well my family has adapted to, to Macomb, and considering we lived in Milwaukee, lived out in Las Vegas, and then Minneapolis, and now we've come to Macomb. It's been a great change for us. And I, I really contribute that to the, the, the good people that are here in town. And that we've come across. It's just been fun. And I, it's good to see that our guys are having some success and see the, com the community enjoying that. That's That's been pretty special so far. Well, I mean, you guys are fun to watch. We're really looking forward to this conference season, and we just really appreciate you making time for us, Coach. No problem. Thank you, guys. Take care, Coach. All right. Take care. All right. Well, great interview with Coach Jeter. So, like I said, we will uh, – We'll comment on the interview itself when we get to Western Illinois. Um, going, continuing down the list, Oral Roberts. I had them at a C minus. This will be one that I'm sure I, in fact, I'm shocked I have not heard um, feedback on this already from Oral Roberts fans, other than some hints towards when I said maybe I can't remember who they lost to. That, that then went out and, and played really well. I said, maybe we overreacted to that loss. And they said, hey, we overreacted to everything, Oral Roberts. Um, <laughs> but so it may, might be the truth. I am certainly not doubting it. Um, some uh, The Tulsa win was good. The overtime loss to Oklahoma State looked good. Um, Ken Palm dropped a little bit. But there's still these games like the Central Arkansas game and that, that was at home. And and the dropping games like that. I just, that's where I struggle with Oral Roberts right now. I, I understand that Todd. And, and you know, I, I think typically in our pre-conference discussions, we will, and, and we probably will talk as a podcast at times about, all right, if, if this was a multi-bid league, how bad are these losses? How good are these wins? Sure. At the end of the day, we're still a single bid league. Summer league is yep. still a one bid league. And so you, you have to take your, your pre-conference results with a grain of salt. And, yep. uh, and I think that's, that's certainly what Paul Mills and his staff are doing right now. And until, you know, let's, let's just make sure that the Oral Roberts fans understand if they're, if we're overreacting to every game they have, that means they matter to us. You know what I mean? Right. That means we're right. talking about them. That means we're discussing them. That means they're relevant in the summer league without question. And they proved that last year by getting to the sweet 16 after winning the summer league tournament, uh, you know, in some, in some crazy games in the semis and the finals. But uh, I still think they, you know, they, they've got some room for growth, some room, some room for proving things. And, and I think the biggest thing they have to prove is that the loss of Kevin O'Banner is overcomeable and that Max Acemas can, can, can continue to play at a level that, that, you know, he played at last year, which a lot of people look at it and go, holy smokes, we haven't seen, a, you know, that level of play in a long time. So uh, I, I think they, you know, they're they're a CB type team right now, without question. They're still going to be a threat to win the summer league. And, yep. and I believe that wholeheartedly just because of the, the fact that Acemas is there and the, there's a ton of returners. Shane Weaver looks healthy. And so, um, yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. And 
And, you know, I love the fact that that ORU fans are going to yell at the podcast. That means they're listening, and we'd love to have you guys listening. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I would echo that same sentiment. Yeah, I love how uh, proud the Oral Roberts fans are. They should be. You know what I mean? Like the basketball programs are probably enjoy that school. And I, it, it's, it's fantastic to hear them. I love how interactive they are, but, but let's just be honest for a moment here, guys, high expectations coming off of a sweet 16, maybe lead eight last year. We're looking at the schedule. Let's just be objective for a moment here. Our record says five and four, three of those are against non-division ones. And one is Houston Baptist, which. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So we're hanging our hat on the one win over Tulsa at home, which was a nice win. Nice yeah. win. Oklahoma State at home. It's great. Like they, they played them tough. But, you know, Ken Palm, you know, like, like we said before, we're not throwing horseshoes here. So that's it. So we have about a month's worth of basketball and one solid win. That's what we have. Um, now, you know, Coach Mills knows. It, I, I thought his uh, discussion on scheduling was very enlightening. And yeah. it he knows what he's doing, right? Yeah. yeah. They're putting together this schedule based off of the needs of their team, right? The, the, their schedule is not put together to please us. It's to get their team ready to play the conference schedule. And we're going to find out if that's happening or not. It may be. And so we may, we may be sort of missing the point here by just looking at these games, but we don't know that that's all we have so far. So if you're looking at just this season right now, I mean, you're okay. So you, you take the, the three non non-division one games out, that's two and four. And then the, the Houston Baptist, I mean, there's not much to hang your hat on there. Yeah, they beat there Tulsa. Max Aceman got Max Aceman got hot, right? We know that. Like they can beat anybody when he does. And so it's sort of a combination of this this schedule not giving us much to chew on, and they're really only having one or two kind of even tier wins. I mean, they, they could have beat TCU, you know, honestly, at, and and at Central Arkansas, you know, those are two games that I think when they put together the schedule that. I think they thought they might get, you know, obviously the TCU game is always going to be tough, but they can be TCU. Uh, the Colorado state game, that's really sort of the outlier. Um, as we know, like they're probably a top 25 team, but um, yeah. So, so yeah. I don't know. I mean, so, so long story short, I don't, I don't think your C minus grade is out of line at all. And it may be, it may be a little high, quite honestly. I, I may look at a D plus, but like I said before, there maybe the point of this schedule was not to look fantastic. They're probably trying to accomplish other things as they, you know, get some other guys on their team used to some of these new roles. Well, and one of the things that's really tough for me is when it's three ninety ones, and of course they look great in all those games, you don't get the, well, who, who's going to step up and Mm -hmm. take some of the role that they lost with O'Banner. Um, and even Houston Baptist, they, they, they looked pretty complete in that one, but Houston Baptist is a pretty bad team, but uh, that's, I, I wanted to see some of those things. Like you said, we know Max can win games. Frankly, they play Missouri state coming up. They can, if Max is that hot as he was against Tulsa, it might not matter what everybody else is doing, but in these, in the grind of the summit league, 
who who kind of steps up. Kareem Thompson's been really cold from the field to start the season. Um, Lotsis and and Weaver seem to be having a little bit of trouble adjusting to their new to their more their bigger role. And so like that's where I really struggled with how to to rank them. Yeah, so yeah I'd lo- I'd love to see a game against like a Ken Palm like 150 to 200 where Max Smith has one of those games where he's like say 2 for 8 from 3, but DeShane Weaver has 15 and Kareem Thompson has 15 and Phipps has like 15 or something like that. You know what I mean? I'd love to see something like that cuz that would be something that we have not seen a lot of, and that would show a lot of growth, you know, but yeah. we'll see. They, they have the opportunity for that. And, and the other thing I'll say, and this is a general statement about the league as a whole, I think the three of us want the Summit League to become a multi-bid league. We really do. And I, so I think sometimes we will look at the non-conference season and go, God darn it, we need to get some of these wins so we can become a multi-bid league. Where if we, if we stripped it all down and said, listen, we're a one-bid league until this league proves us otherwise, we would probably be talking much more about their preparation for the Summit League, their, right. the development of those guys that that maybe weren't, you know, that were strictly role players last year into, into higher-profile players for each team. We would probably judge a little less critically if we just said, hey, we're a one-bid league. And, and, I, and so I think that's where, that's where ORU is sitting right now is, is in that, you know, we're looking at them as, hey, you're a, you're a sweet 16 team last year, and we're comparing you to that right now. Um, and, 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 yeah, they, they, do they have a lot of room for growth? Without question. And I think it's going to be interesting to see. They've got some, you know, key matchups coming up here, and we'll see how they, they, they bear out. But at the same time, it's really December 20th when all this stuff starts, you know, at, right. for a one-bid one yep. league. Yeah, my, my only other my only other comment on that, Greg, is that the, with the top three coming into the season, SDSU, NDSU, and ORU, one of the things – no, I don't know that I was really thinking this is, could be a two-bed league as much as I want all three of those teams to look like teams that could give people problems in the NCAA tournament. And SDSU has looked like that team. The other two yes. really haven't. I agree 100%. Yeah, Greg, that, that's a really good point. I mean, these these schools are doing – they've put together their non-conference schedule to put them in the best possible spot to win the conference tournament, not qualify as an at-large. Um, right. True. Well, I guess, you know, I you know like Omaha's could have been set up to, to qualify as an at-large, yeah. but we know, we know that's not just not exactly where they're at. So you, you get, you're right. Like, that's a very good point of, of clarification here. You know, there's a lot of different ways to look at this. I don't know that either one's right or wrong, but um, it, it, that is important to clarify. All right. So on to South Dakota, and we'll have to start going a little bit fast through the last four teams. I apologize for those at the bottom of the alphabet, um, but that's just the way it ended up. I gave South Dakota a C. They've dropped 50 points in Ken Palm. I will be honest. I was kind of nice to them because I thought them being rated at 186 to start the season was generous. Um, their best, their best win, Air Force, worst loss, San Jose State, who might want to join the summit after what they've done so far. Um, any thoughts on South Dakota? You know, I'll, I'll just jump in quick. Um, I, I think you're right. I think it was generous early on, their Ken Palm rating. I, they are what they are, and that's such a 
Danny Green quote, isn't it? But they are, you know, I think their ceiling is legitimate. We know their players. We know who they are. Unless someone really steps out of who they have been, they're going to be a team that is always tough at their place. And they're going to be a team that every time they come to your place, if you're not playing well, they, they can stick it to you. And so I it, take that as a compliment, USD fans that USD is going to be a really, really solid team in this league. I think they're going to be, a th- you know, that, that team that can finish anywhere from third to sixth in the league, to be honest with you. It, Todd, I agree sort of with your premise on how you rated them. They may be Ken Palm 236. I think that's probably where they probably should have been, given just how much they lost. Right. Um, and it's, you know, I, I feel like we have a pretty good handle on them. You know what I mean? Like, like that's just, I think that's where they're at. Uh, you know, again, that's a big credit to the coaching staff for getting things organized and just having clarity of roles right off the bat much sooner than most schools. Um, you know, they're, they're probably going to be one of those teams that are going to beat the teams they should beat and probably won't beat the teams that they shouldn't. And that's not that bad for losing 40% of your scoring, you know? Right. So it could, it could certainly be a whole lot worse. Um, so yeah, I I, uh, I agree with your premise. I'm I'm fine with the C at this point. So on to South Dakota State, and we won't try not to spend too much time on <laughs> South Dakota State because we've we've talked and talked about South Dakota State. Uh, but I gave them an A minus. Uh, their best win I, I put down as Nevada, and then the next night was their worst loss, um, which was Washington. And I and I know I got a little pushback from Jacks fans on that. Um, but I'm a Pac-12. I watch a lot of Pac-12 basketball. Washington's not very good. Um, they're now if they were in the Summit League, they'd be second or third. Um, so I mean, there's that. But but uh, they're a 150 Ken Palm type team. Um, so I give them an A minus just because that opportunity. And I know we hit this on the podcast last week, so I won't try to beat it into the ground too bad. But that opportunity for three games in three days, I really wanted to see them come out and. Uh, and uh, I think I would have rather they drop one at a different time and then win those three games because I want to see them replicate, do something they could replicate in the Summer League tournament, a, a big run at, in a three-day tournament. Jack fans, take it as the ultimate compliment. You're being ripped for a loss to a Power 5 team. When I say <laughs> ripped, I'm using that really loosely. I'm just giving you a bad time, Don. That's your worst loss is to a Pac-12 team that should tell you what this podcast thinks of your squad. Right. Uh, the, the South Dakota State right now, with their full complement of players, uh, the one the guy I'm going to go to right now is maybe the one that people least expect me to. Apple off the bench, his he's elevated his level of play. When mm-hmm. Apple comes in for a Dentlinger and or Wilson, there's no drop off. He has really elevated his level of play. And then your guard play with Shireman, Arians, and and Friedel. Uh, no, South Dakota State right now. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Take it as a compliment, South Dakota State fans. You went from an A to an A minus because you lost to a Power Five team <laughs> on a neutral court. That's, right. <laughs> uh, that's a big time compliment. Yeah, that's the definition of grading on a curve, right? You know. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. but I like it though. I, I like it. Now, now yeah. they can now they can say that. Oh, people are doubting us, right? Use it yep. as <laughs> use it as motivation. Uh, but no, I mean it, it's really. To put it simply, it's South Dakota State versus South Dakota State. You know, at, at the beginning of the year, 
we thought that could be the case. We weren't 100% sure. We knew that there are some other talented teams in this conference that could give them a hard time. But I think I, I think they have created some separation here. And so yep. as long as they just continue to play, stay healthy, stay pointing in the right direction, you know, it's 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 them versus themselves for the bid, for the NCAA bid. And uh, I know it's pretty bold before we even start the conference tournament, and a lot's going to happen before then. Um, but that's where we're starting from, in my opinion. So yeah. a, a minus, fine with me. Yeah, and, and if Coach Henderson ever puts a minus on a whiteboard anywhere as as motivation, <laughs> please send me a picture. I, I will be uh, pretty happy about that. Um, all right, on to St. Thomas. I, I gave them a B plus, and maybe I debated even going higher than that. Now a three and four record. Ken Palm's at 308, which is up about 30. Um, best win was Niagara. Worst loss, Chicago State. Uh, I'll be honest, maybe the team I was the most wrong on, at least it looks like so far, uh, was St. Thomas. I thought they would struggle a lot more, and I know it wasn't in November, but they they played a heck of a game today in losing as well. So what, what, what are your guys' thoughts on the grade for St. Thomas? I give them a B plus. Very fair. Um, St. Thomas, I, I, I watched them a fair amount against Drake today and they, they gave Drake a much tougher battle than USD did. Yeah. And, and they did it. And I mean, they, they were within three late, did it without Bjorklund. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I just, I, I love watching this team offensively, their spacing, their ball movement, their player movement, their willingness to make the extra pass. They've got great shooters. They're doing this with D3 guys. Yeah. Gosh sakes, they're doing it with D three guys, um, and they're gonna they're gonna be a nightmare for for teams in the Summit League. I don't care where they play them because uh, they, they control tempo. Uh, they're very disciplined. They're very 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 well coached. Uh, they're a lot of fun to watch, to be honest with you. And so I mean, they're gonna take a ton of prep for for Summit leagues for for Summit League teams throughout the course of the season, just because they're not easy to defend. They, and they then they throw a ton of different defensive looks at you. I really enjoyed watching them against Drake today. They're going to be a surprise team in the Summer League this season. Yeah, they already have three Division One wins. That's yeah. more than, you know, they haven't beaten the, the, the toughest teams, um, but that's more than some of the teams in the conference can say. Yep. And you're right, Greg. If you're a basketball junkie, watch St. Thomas. They are a lot of fun. They are a lot of fun. It's a different – they come from a different brand of basketball – but it's so fun to see that brand of basketball carry over and really give these teams a hard time. You're absolutely right, Greg. They gave Drake a much better battle than some of the other teams in this conference did. And now coming up, they have teams like Montana State, and you know then they started right off with Omaha. So um, I think my biggest takeaway with St. Thomas is the things that we were concerned about, you know, the lack of physicality, lack of height, things like that. Um, they're able to neg- negate that fairly effectively. Yeah. You know, they make you think they make you think and thinking doesn't matter how big you are. And that's why they're able to win and they're able to crack you a little bit. And so um, are, are they going to run into problems against some of these teams that have bigger posts? Yep. But guess what? The, those teams also have to guard them on the offensive end. So I, I, yeah, I mean, B plus I'd have been tempted to give them an A minus and that's me, the guy that's biased against them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and and it's it's I mean the hype we're we're pretty low on hype when with a B plus compared to 
I've already been told that their goal is the Big East and their goal is the Missouri Valley. <laughs> I said, can they at least play a conference game before we put them in the Big Ten? Yeah. Um, you know, it's 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 interesting. But as a former Mayak person, yeah. I'll, I'll be on your side with this, Zach. That that doesn't surprise me with St. Thomas folks thinking that it's it's the sky's the limit. But that also helps you make the sky the limit. Like it, it's a, it's an interesting way of thinking. Like it's yeah. not we're we're not just stopping at a few Division One wins. Like we want to really build something here, and that's what it feels like. It really does. Yeah, and and I I think uh, it's been discussed on this podcast before, but they really have probably the perfect roster. If there ever was a perfect roster to to jump from Division Three to Division One, it'd probably be this: a bunch yeah. of guys that have played a bunch of basketball. The roles are well established. You know, the the culture is is just through and through. Um, I'm probably more curious about next year. You know, they yeah. graduate quite a bit this year. Yeah, they're bringing in a lot of talent. Yeah, they're probably keeping a scholarship or two in their back pocket for a Division One transfer. I'm really curious to see how they start to transition from these guys who have won. Gosh, they, what, what was it? I, I said in a couple podcasts ago, like like over 100 games together. Uh, yeah, to seven to, losses over four years. I remember yeah, that. yeah. So I'm curious to see how they, uh, and, and that's a conversation for another day. But as it stands right now, very impressive. Yeah, yeah. And and again, still with Kwasinski played just a little bit, and I don't know. I did not get to see the Drake game yet. I'm going to watch that after we're done. Um, but he he's he's just coming back. Courtney Brown still has not stepped on the court. He has been in like team photos when they're when they're on Twitter and stuff, so he's around. I don't. It must be an injury or something. Well, um, so you know, it'll be uh, interesting not, to see how that mixes. But there's not near as much lateral movement in a team photo as there is uh, playing yeah, defense. True. Have true. <laughs> yeah, I, I was not. I was not staring at his legs or anything to see if I could find out anything. But uh, I, if if I start doing that, get me some help. But uh, but uh, what but, if they had Jarvis yeah, Mirsa? So, what if they had Jarvis yeah. Omirsa? Yep. Like that would have been holy smokes. That was a bigger deal than we even realized at that point. I mean, we thought it was a big deal, but if this team yeah. had Jarvis Omirsa, wow. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Things look good there. Um, so on to Western Illinois, uh, and and we'll talk about the interview with Coach Dieter as we do this as well. And well, let's maybe let's start with that. I gave them the best grade. I gave them an A. Their Ken Palm has jumped jumped almost sixty points from 242 to 183, five and two in November, and they have not stopped winning after December started. Um, but I'll, I'll start with the comments on the interview with Coach Jeter. Same thing I thought last year when we interviewed him, and, and of course we had, it was so unknown then. It just, there's this feeling of he knows exactly what he's doing and why he's doing it. And it, uh, we always get those nuggets about, who came from where Luka Barisic came from the community college that Coach Monroe was at. And these things that um, all these connections and there's this camaraderie with that team, at least from the outside looking in, that that I'm not surprised by any of that. That, that, that was my biggest takeaway is just this, there's this plan, we're sticking to the plan and this calmness, I don't, I don't know, it feels like a guy who wouldn't want to play, play for him. Well, uh, I'm with you. A is very fair for Western Illinois. I mean, they've got four guys averaging double figures right now. They they have good depth. Um, they've got guys that, that Coach Jeter is comfortable with. You listen to him in the interview, and, and he just 
I don't know. He just talks about looking for the right guys, the, yeah. the right fit. And we talk about this ad nauseum on our podcast, you know, when it comes to using the, the transfer portal or, or just finding guys that, that, that his staff is familiar with, I, you know, they, they right now, to be honest with you, to, to me, they seem like a team that is going to not be knocking on the door of a top three finish in the summit league. And it's yeah. going to take a, a great effort night in, night out to get after them and, 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 and be able to battle them. And so, um, I mean, they've got size, they've got versatility, they've got Will Carius, that guy that has been through the wars in the summit league and, and uh, is leading them right now, but he's not the guy that has to be great for him every night in order for them to win games. So uh, very impressive. I mean, the only thing staring them in the face between, you know, eight and two and 10 and oh is two four point losses, one to an Eastern Michigan team, an, an okay team and one to a DePaul team that, I think lost for the first time today or yesterday. And uh, other than that, boy, I'll tell you what, uh, they're playing at a high level and Rob Dieter's really done a heck of a job. I think my favorite part of the interview is just listening to, you know, how all this comes together. It's all about relationships, right? I mean, Greg, yeah. you know, that's better than anybody, but six degrees of separation in the coaching world. It's like, you really only need like three, right? Isn't that true? Yeah. I mean, yeah. like how many times, Greg, how many times did you get a, a guy because that you may not have thought to look for, but somebody gave you a call and said, Hey, I got a guy that you could think of. Or I got a guy should take a look at. You know what I mean? Yeah. And somebody you trust. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I couldn't agree more. And and who has more connections in the upper Midwest or across college basketball than Rob Jeter? As far mm-hmm. as having people call him where he goes, I can trust this guy's opinion. Without question, he has made hay at, at down in Macomb. And what a great looking roster right now and, and really great early season results. I mean, you can't just pull up the transfer portal and watch tape on everybody, right? Right, right. You can't pull up the transfer portal and watch tape on the 200 power forwards in there, right? I mean, right. how could you right. – like, there's not enough hours in the day. you got to rely on stuff like that, and the guys that have those connections get it done. That's why Coach Jeter's uh, gotten off to such a great start here. I mean, that's why everything is just kind of methodically falling into place for them. And if you look at how their team's playing – you know, Ken Palm 161, they're technically the second best team in the conference. I would I'd agree with that right now with based off of how they're playing right now. Uh, they just got done beating the Ken Palm number 203, 187, 182, and uh, I think 182 uh, team. And so, um, you know, they're, they're just going right along and, and they're just continuing to get better. They're yeah. becoming more dynamic. The fact that Colton Sandage can hit six, seven threes in a game. That's an added dynamic they didn't have before. They got all these guys coming off the bench that teams would kill to have. And, uh, you know, it's, it's all just coming together. And so quickly too. No, I'm with you. I mean, and right now that I think you got 13 days off, they play Eastern and then they're jumping to league play. Uh, I don't know if you're Rob Jeter, you know, could things be, be setting up much better for you right now from a, from a, a momentum standpoint, you got one more game coming up, but almost two weeks away. Can you get your guys healthy, ready? And then that 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 game on the 18th just prepares you for summit league play. I'll tell you what, in, in, in this is his second year. It's hard for me to to see a coach that's had that has worked through all of the circumstances that are uncontrollable to put his team in a better position to be really, really, really competitive in the summit league this season. They're going to be a, they're going to be a nightmare to be honest with you. They're probably three or four plays from being 10 and 0. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and they 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 played really poorly in the one game against the MAC team that I'm not remembering. Eastern um, Michigan. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah, and and then but DePaul they were with them really. I mean they get DePaul got a ten point lead, but they kind of stormed back and looked like they were going to win that game. There's just not a lot of quit with that team either, which is fun to watch. Um, and if we forget Quinlan Bennett, who's a transfer from, from Lamar, hasn't played all season with injury. And Ramin Hinton, if you guys remember from last year, that talented freshman still on the roster. It doesn't sound like it's injury related. I'm not sure what's going on, but he has not played either. It's almost like there's too many players once those guys return, which which isn't a bad problem. But yeah, roles are being accounted for. That's for sure. Right. Yep. And and so it, one other comment I'll make just on them and and with my time over in Tulsa with at the Maybe Center, it's fun to watch. You know, a lot of times we make fun of of programs when there's not a lot of people in attendance. We also forget that that tends to be the programs that aren't winning. And, you know, nobody, even diehard fans don't love going to games to watch their team lose by 20. Um, Western Hall's starting to get yes. a decent amount yeah. of fans there. And the maybe center was, and I get it was Oklahoma State, but Tulsa was the same way. And again, but that was mostly Oral Roberts fans. Like, it's just fun to watch these arenas start to fill back up, especially after last year with, no, with nobody being able to be there. Yeah, especially a lot of these schools are in smaller communities, you know, and it's it's the winter. I mean, what else are you doing? Get out and watch these games. Yep. And th- uh, there's something to be said. The, the Western Illinois players are really – and I get it's just Twitter. But, like, promoting the team, promoting yeah. opportunities, like, there's just – it gives you that feeling that there's just this community in that team. And whether right or wrong or, or fake or, or real, who knows. But, yeah. No, but but – Todd, you really have a great point. I mean, I think you might have retweeted it was a Will Carrier's tweet where he, a tweet where he's thanking the fans for the atmosphere that they created in Macomb. Let's be honest, Macomb is not a, a huge community, and right. and they have been starved for success when it comes to men's basketball. And all of a sudden, when they start seeing some of this stuff, they're going to come out there and and in Macomb, I'm telling you what, 1,500 to to 2,000 fans is going to be a great crowd. And right. that's going to be a, that's going to be quite an environment and quite an advantage, a home court advantage for Western Illinois. So, no, that that's not lost. I, I think what you're talking about matters. Uh, and, and, and ORU, they're a sweet 16 team from last year in a large metropolitan area. And they might be looking, you know, fans might be looking for a place to go. And, and there's certainly uh, a wealth of talent on Paul Mills team to, to hopefully keep them coming back. So I think it's great. Both of those venues. If they if they can become much more raucous and much more supportive, both of those teams are going to benefit from it. Yeah. All right. So we we went way long. Where this one is going to be a little bit longer than more, but I I couldn't stop us and not talk about three teams or whatever. Um, yeah. So so make well, it through the whole thing. And <laughs> but uh, but we had to get through everybody and there's just a lot of talk, lot to talk about. And we want to make sure the interview with coach Jeter was in there as well, uh, but we will end it at uh, now just to try to save you guys some time as you're listening, but we appreciate everybody listening and, and any feedback like Zach often says, we're open to feedback and things to talk about. Um, send direct messages. We'll, we'll, we'll try to get into the podcast. So thank you everybody. And, and ha- till next time. Thank you.